Peace, peace, and welcome. This is another episode of Cook on Quarantine. Very much a highlight for my brief time doing this podcast because I get to talk to a sitting U.S. senator, also uh, someone that's committed his career to public service and education. Senator Michael Bennett uh, serves the great state of Colorado as a former superintendent, and he had the crazy idea to run for president, which I hope we can get into. <laughs> I'm glad you I'm glad you noticed that, Steve. <laughs> a bit during our conversation. So um, Senator Bennett uh, is calling in. He's in the middle of meetings trying to keep the country moving forward. So I don't have it for too long, but uh, we'll just get this thing started. Senator Bennett, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah, I um, I was informing the folks of your team. I just got a copy of your book. So uh, hopefully I can get a signature of that next time I run into you with our master. Anytime. <laughs> Anytime. So I met you briefly in San Francisco during your presidential run, and you probably don't remember this, but I, I referenced a book that you were highlighted in. It was the first time that I came across your name. The book is called uh, Victory Lab, and it talked about your initial Senate run where you used a mail strategy to help sort of turn out, get out, get out the vote, and as an innovative way to sort of engage the public. When, when did you first run for senator? When did you first get elected? I, I ran, I was first elected in 2010. I actually was minding my own business being superintendent of the Denver Public Schools. And then in 2009, there was a vacancy because President Obama appointed uh, my predecessor, Ken Salazar, to be interior secretary. And then our governor put me in the job. And then I had to run right away for election in 2010. So the first two years of my time here were spent um, both trying to be a senator at a moment when we were facing the worst recession since the Great Depression at that time and in running for election for the first time. I'd never run for political office before. So you went straight from superintendent to senator? I tell all my friends that are school superintendents that if anybody ever comes and taps you on the shoulder and says, I've got a great idea, I'm going to make you a senator, your answer should be no thanks. Um, and I partly mean that. I mean, you'll know, you'll you'll understand this from your experience in in the San Francisco schools. I mean, you know, every single day I got up, it wasn't easy. It was a battle most days, but it was a battle worth fighting. And uh, there wasn't a lot of confusion about what you know we were trying to get done, which was to lift student achievement in, in our district and to. To, to have more resources for the kids in a district where most of the kids are free and reduced lunch. And there's not a lot of time to waste. In fact, people don't have time to waste. And my, you know, if I had one complaint about Washington, which is a long list of complaints, uh, at least before Donald Trump got here, it would be the degree to which people here are wasting their time and each other's time when our teachers and kids are showing up in school trying to make the most of the time that they have, the short period of time that they have. That's a very unique sort of pathway to go from, you know, essentially overseeing a district is sort of like a government executive role to being a policymaker in, in a crazy place like D.C. And so <laughs> you've, been, and you've been there 10 years, which is a trip. Right. Like, what is the Staggering. what is the what is the tone how has the tone changed? All we hear about sort of on the outside is this that it's toxic, that um yeah. it's a lot of infighting. Um 
Is that been pretty consistent during your time, or how what, what, how would you respond to that? I mean, every there, there's a lot of toxicity. I think there's I, I I believe that our democratic institutions are under enormous pressure, and our democracy is under enormous strain. Even before Donald Trump was elected, I I believe that I I actually think of him not as the cause of all of our problems, but as a symptom of of a set of problems that we have to deal with and that we have to contend with. There's no question that. Every now and then, there's the opportunity to work together, as as I did, you know, as part of the gang of eight that wrote the comprehensive immigration bill in uh, 2013 that passed the Senate with uh, with uh, almost 70 votes. Uh, you know, every now and then, there's the opportunity to do something like that. But we're living at a moment when um, you know it's sort of a winner take all mentality in our politics, and I we've had this before at times. Um, and I'm hoping we're going to leave this behind. I mean, I arrived here at a moment of great hope for the country when Barack Obama was first elected president. And just uh, two election cycles after his first election, or maybe even the next election cycle, the Tea Party, which later became the Freedom Caucus, rode to Washington, D.C. as a reaction to the election of Barack Obama. And, and we're in this kind of never cycle in America of action and reaction, reconstruction and redemption. And, and we've seen a period of time now with the Freedom Caucus and the, the you know, and Mitch McConnell and, and Donald Trump that I hope is, you know, we're, what we're seeing today is the end of that reactionary period and the chance that we're going to have a very long progressive period on the back end of this to, um, to invest again in our in our country but we'll see this history hasn't yet been written yeah i mean there's 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 a ton of work to get done and one one of the things that um i heard you talk about on the senate floor i tweeted about it today that you highlighted uh, after uh the murder of george floyd was the need for police reform and um and you talked about stories of of you know people uh person in particular that was that was uh killed in in your state and um, and one of the things I talk about a lot on the podcast is just issues related to the the black community. Is there a common ground around uh, issues related to police reform and finding uh, ways to provide economic advancement for the black community? The person that I mentioned in that floor speech uh, was Paul Childs, who is a young, uh, developmentally disabled young man, a black teenager who was killed by the police uh in inside of his front door when i had just gone to work for the city and county of denver and the point that i made is that across the country things have not gotten better uh, they've gotten worse I, I believe that's true but but is there the basis i actually believe there is this is you know at least i've seen it you know in in colorado and in denver we've had protests black lives matter protests across the state uh, and but more than that, uh, our state legislature passed and the governor signed the first modern police accountability act um, in in America. That happened just two weeks ago, and it is essentially the the same piece of legislation that Kamala Harris and Cory Booker have endured have have introduced in the Senate, which which I've uh, co-sponsored, and. Uh, I don't think three, two years ago, such a piece of legislation would have had a hope of passing. And it gives me real 
faith that the, the democracy is alive again, because what you're seeing is people in the streets protesting for you know, against injustice and if for once legislation actually being passed that responds to that call for solving injustice. And by the way, important to note in, in the case of Colorado, at least, which is a swing state, a purple state, a state where we're about a third Democratic, Independent and Republican, uh, the, the bills actually passed with broad bipartisan support. And they were not watered down bills. They were, they're the bills that were, it's the bill we're trying to get past the Senate here. So that has given me a, a real shot in the arm in terms of seeing the, when you think all is lost, the democracy finally kicking itself into gear. And, and I think, so I, I do think there is a consensus on police reform. Question is, you know, all the other things from profound inequality in our in our schools to our housing to the mass incarceration that exists in our country. You know, I, I'm hopeful that we can have a new progressive era that's not tinged with the racism of the old progressive era, but actually allows the country to begin to address these long overdue this this long overdue set of right absolutely structural racism yeah yeah and, and the structural part i think that's that's been actually my biggest frustration serving on the board of education uh, we had a we had a presentation from our current superintendent about how over the last 40 years we've introduced a number of different initiatives aimed at addressing the achievement gap and the achievement gap essentially hasn't changed and i think one of the one of the things that I look at when I see like major packages from Washington that focus on a particular issue is, you know, I'm, I'm sort of, I don't really have the same optimism <laughs> that like the, 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 the plight of the community is going to be advanced significantly given our history. And so when, when, when I speak to someone like you and who has to sort of deal with getting stuff through and, and Washington, and I'm wondering, like, how do you do that for 10 years <laughs> and uh, and still remain hopeful? You know, are you are, have you seen can you highlight a few examples of uh, legislation that you put forward or passed that uh, meaningfully impacted people? I mean, one, I think, was getting rid of No Child Left Behind and and restoring the decision making to states and local governments while retaining the idea that it's critically important for us to disaggregate student data so that we can see how kids of color are doing versus white kids and, and kids that are living in poverty are doing versus more affluent kids. There was a lot about that law that didn't work, but that was a very important principle that we needed to preserve, and and we were able, I think, to preserve that. Uh, uh, I passed legislation to expedite the approval of uh, drugs for cancer patients, for cystic fibrosis patients. Uh, that uh, have, you know, those are pretty gratifying because those are, those are moments when you show up and you ask yourself. Would this have gotten done if I hadn't shown up and gone to work, which is how I sort of that's the standard I hold myself to, because if someone else can do it, maybe there's something else uh, I should be doing. But the reality is, you know, for people who are in their early 20s in our country, I think it's it's it, we have to observe that they've never seen a democracy that's worked. And they've only lived in a country that's been at war in the Middle East, in Afghanistan and Iraq, the whole time that they've been alive. Um, you, you asked about the 10 years and how do you hang in there? 
what I know is what you know, which is the history of enlarging democratic participation in this country has always been a fight. It's never been easy, and it's always taken decades. Uh, in my book, I write that, you know, I, my view is that Frederick Douglass is a founder just as much as the people who wrote the Constitution of the United States, the, the women who fought so that my three daughters would have the right to vote, which the founders did not secure for them, are, in my view, are, are founders just like the people that wrote the Constitution. And I actually think that's what we're all called upon to be as citizens of this very imperfect republic fighting in a battle that goes back to the founding when we you know, represented uh, America, humanity's highest ideals at the same time that we were perpetrating human slavery. That story uh, has never ended and will never end. And I think the reason we can't give up is that we know the fights have always taken decades. They've never been done in years you know, or months. And what, you know, the way I feel about it right now is I look at, you know, where we are as a country compared to where we were when we I graduated from college, like, uh, you know, not 100 years ago, but some time ago. And the wealth gap is greater than it was when I graduated from college. In many places, segregation is worse and housing patterns are even more segregated than they were when when I graduated from college. But to me, that's an invitation to keep fighting, not to give up. We, and, I, and I don't think we should give up because I think the evidence is that if we keep fighting over time, we make progress, not as quickly as we want and not as easily as any of us would want, but, but we can make progress. Yeah, I think you. I think you speak about the country in a way that um, is, is is very eloquent and um, and I and ideal uh, ideal based and values based. And it seems like it was just like the wrong time for that message in the country to. to <laughs> because, uh, because you know, you yeah. Know, you kind of joked. About I was the, I was the master of the one percent. It was unfortunately the wrong one percent. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's a lot of negativity. Uh, I think associated with politics and people are really down dealing with COVID, people are losing people. But the but the positive message in a very intense political time. You you made a joke like when we when we started like you, you were glad that I noticed that you ran and um, <laughs> like breaking through. Um, I, I kind of just want to talk ask about that experience running. Uh, sure. Because According to the polls, like you, I guess you never really got you. You sort of tell it better than I can, but a, a few percentage points um, yeah. in terms of like p- being paid attention to. So, what was what was that like for you? To um, did you ever feel like I need to find a way to get in the news cycle? Did you like just kind of stick to your guns? Like I'm gonna be who I am, but it's I'm not gonna win. Like what was your what was your <laughs> you know I got I have a lot of free advice for anybody who decides they want to run for president. They're welcome to call me and I'll, I'll tell them. But I, I, for me, I mean, and I did some things. I mean, I should have gotten in earlier than I did. I should have been preparing more than I did. And I and I had never thought that I would run for president, but I just decided that I, I believed that it was really important to have somebody run um, who could put out a set of policies, a set of policy prescription that I called the real deal that I think was more progressive than any Democrat who's been elected president has advocated for, um, but also was a set of 
an agenda that could unite the country and bring people together across uh, various congressional districts. And and so I have no regrets because I had to think very hard about that. It, 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 the principles never changed and the policies really didn't. But the way I talked about it uh, did change. And what I, I learned a tremendous amount about the country. And so I have no regrets about having done it. I wish that I had done a better job and maybe I'll have another chance to do it. But in the meantime, what I'm doing is absolutely everything I can do to make sure that Donald Trump is a one-term president because I don't think our country can literally, I just don't, not sure we can survive another term of uh, him being there. And, and I guess I'd also say, I, I think Mitch McConnell has out, outstayed his usefulness as the majority leader in the Senate. And we we've got the chance to win, to win those seats as well, uh, but winning is not enough. We also have to deliver on the other side of it, and I look forward to to helping create an agenda that can build momentum, which I believe we can. I don't think we just have to do one thing and 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 assume that we've used up our political capital. There is so much for us to do from overturning the t- Trump tax cuts to giving the middle class and working people in this country a real chance. We could cut childhood poverty in one year by 40 percent uh, in America. We've got work to do on climate change and on um, and and on the economy more generally. So the good news is there's not a shortage of stuff for us to do. Yeah, can you can you dig in a little bit deeper on that? The cut childhood poverty by one sure. percent. What what that means? By forty percent. By forty percent. Yeah, yeah. So that's a bill. That's a bill called the American Family Act that I've had for a number of years with Sherrod Brown, my friend from Ohio. We actually have two pieces of legislation. That one and uh, but that one is a very substantial increase to the child tax credit, and it would make the child tax credit fully refundable. So there are millions of Americans today who don't get the credit because they're too poor. Think about that. Think about that. Why don't they get the credit? They don't get the credit because somebody in Washington thinks that they're not actually working and they don't want to give them the credit unless they can show that they've got some income. These are the poorest people living in America and we're just making their life harder because of an ideological view in in Washington that doesn't reflect the reality in your school district or my school district. And so in we, we in the one, in one year, Columbia University has told us that if we just made this one change to the tax code, which is to take the earning or the, job tax credit up to about 3000 bucks a year and um and to make it fully refundable that we'd cut childhood poverty by 40% and and the same uh, bill would end um $2 a day poverty for kids living in America so all those families in America that are living on $2 a day would no longer be um no longer be at that at that very perilous place and that to me that would be a job well done you think about i think about the time that i spent the denver public schools and all the work we tried to do and by the way we made a huge amount of progress but we did not close our achievement gaps either just as you were saying uh, when the data that you were looking at earlier and i i've come to believe the most important school reform that we could enact would be to lift as many children out of poverty as we can, because once you lift kids out of poverty, good things happen. Absolutely, I agree with that. Before we don't have a ton of time left, I do, I do want to, I did want to, I did want to hear about the work you were doing around the relief package that you um, were trying to get passed, uh, Restart Act. Uh, yep. Also to talk, I have to talk to you about 
uh, marijuana while we're on the phone. <laughs> I don't have any. I don't have any with me. <laughs> because of, because uh, you know, because Colorado obviously uh, is right. in California is recreational. Uh, and I want to talk to you about reparations and Kanye West. So which, where you want to start? <laughs> I don't think Kanye, well, uh, let me, let me start wherever you want to start. Go ahead. Take, <laughs> let me on the, on the code, the COVID package. Let's see that. That's easy. Okay. So that's their four. I think there are four things we should do. Uh, one is we should make sure that there's not a cliff on unemployment insurance. We've, we kept 12 million people from falling into, unempo- uh, into poverty, uh, because we increased unemployment. That's going to have a cliff at the end of this month. We have to, uh, find a way to get past that cliff. Second, I'd say the Restart Act, which is a bill, bipartisan bill that I have to bridge the gap for small businesses through the new year. Uh, that's a bill that now has, I think, 25 co-sponsors in the Senate. That's a very difficult thing to achieve, and I'm hopeful that that'll be part of it. More aid to state and local governments. Uh, I don't need to tell you, you know, you're on the receiving end of what it looks like to run a school district at the, in the time of COVID in Colorado or State, our counties are down anywhere between 30 and 70 percent in terms of revenue. And if they have to start laying off teachers and police officers and firefighters, it's just going to make matters worse. So out of $3 trillion of, of, of COVID relief that we've already done, only $150 billion has been to backstop state and local governments. So there's more we can do there. And then the final one is... Um, uh, is uh, is a, a bill that I've got with Kirsten Gillibrand from uh, New York, which would create a health force to to train hundreds of thousands of people, many of them unemployed, many of them young, uh, to give them 90 to 100 hours of training to do the contact tracing and the ultimately the vaccinations that we need. So that there's an infrastructure to support the public health workers and officials that are out in our country trying to do the best they can but are terribly underfunded. So I hope that some some amount will be in there. So then you said reparations. Yeah, yeah. Well just on the restart act, um at, at the school at our school districts where we are, you know, desperately looking for that to pass because we are looking at massive cuts, especially I mean yeah, so, across the country. So uh right. kudos and good luck on that. Um yeah, in terms of in terms of reparations. So, you know, we, part of my I, I would say uh I don't know if it's pessimism, but um, when I hear about a very targeted thing like police reform, it, like it does need to happen, but the but the country's uh, willingness to engage in doing something tangible for the descendants of of those that were enslaved is just like you know it seems like it's closer than it's ever been. But uh, that would feel like the country was was going to do something real for the black community, in my opinion. I think a lot of other people feel that way, and so. I wanted to get your thoughts on yeah. reparations and, and what should happen there. So I, I strongly support the legislation that Representative Shula Jackson Lee introduced in the House and Cory Booker introduced in the Senate to establish a federal commission on the issue of reparations. It's what ta Coates wrote about in The Atlantic, where he said, look, you know, I'm not even sure what the right answer is here. I don't even know what the magnitude is, but I don't, I know that we can't um, have a serious conversation about this unless we 
uh, study it. And I think that's the first step and, and uh, a welcome step. So I support that legislation. And the reason I do is I think, as I said in that floor speech that you mentioned earlier, that you know you can draw a straight line from slavery to Jim Crow to the uh, redlining in our banking and housing sectors to the uh, uh, to the mass incarceration and the deep inequality that we've got uh, in the country right now. I'm looking on my desk in D.C. at uh, the new Jim Crow and and the color of law and white rage, all of which are uh, books that uh, reflect what I just said to you. And I think we have never come to grips with the reality. Uh, my my coming, you know, one of the things I came away from, and I know my successor came away from being superintendent of the Denver Public Schools, was that when you got one set of kids who start with no access to preschool, and 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 they're the same set of schools that have no access really to to high quality K twelve education, no access to college guidance or to 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 people in the prior generation that went to college, you see the the inherited discrimination that is occurring in the country and. And and you really realize that when those are the circumstances, equal is not equal. And uh, we've got to find a way to invest more in uh, children in the communities that have been discriminated against and in communities that are poor. And it's not just a little bit of money. We have to do a lot better. And I think we're a long way from doing that. A commission on reparations would be a good way to reintroduce the country to our own history, because I think it's been largely forgotten by a lot of people. I'm endorsing Michael Bennett for president um, the next time he runs. <laughs> you guys vote now. <laughs> I'll take that. I might get, I'm not even sure my mom would vote for me, so that vote means a lot to me. <laughs> um, so, I, I, Thanks, so I'm, I'm, I'm just, I just, want, I just want to ask about Kanye, then I'm going to let you go. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, to kind of throw a little bit of a jab, he's, he's been more, he's been in the news more than you were when you were running. Yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, what would be your advice to Kanye? Well, I think I, I saw some stuff this morning or this afternoon about uh, what his, Kim Kardashian was saying about him. And I, I don't really want to get in the middle of that, except to say that uh, I hope everybody on planet Earth gets the help that they need. That's what I guess I would say. Yeah, I think that's 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 fair. And, you know, picking on him isn't like um, what I was necessarily trying to get at, but uh you ran for president. He's running for president. I didn't know if you had any like. Yeah, I know, but I'm I'm in no position to give him any advice because I'm the guy that you know came in at the bottom of the heap. Although I did see the other day that somehow I ended up third in the Louisiana Democratic primary. I don't know how that happened, but uh-huh. uh, anyway, I wish him. I wish everybody uh, luck. Yeah, I, I have. So I have like a few rapid fire questions. He's going to be easy. They won't be controversial. Okay. <laughs> Okay. You ready? Okay. Yeah. All right. Uh, do you meditate? Yes. Okay. What personal weakness can you forgive in someone? Uh, lateness is not one. Uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, changing your mind, I guess, which I don't view as a weakness necessarily, but I, 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 I think we're in a political moment where people get flayed alive for changing their mind and i actually wish more people looking at the facts would change their mind about all kinds of things do you have a motto 
When I when I was a kid, and my brother and I were horse rough, or horse screwing around in the house, uh, what they would say is, "This is going to end badly," and that's. Uh, uh, yeah, but I guess my, I guess what I tell my daughters is find something to do that you're really passionate about, do it as well as you can. And by the time it's time for you to move on to something else, you'll find something else. That's my free career advice. It's not much of a motto. Okay. Last and final question. Who's going to win the presidential election? Joe Biden and his soon to be named vice presidential not like a nominee candidate. Uh, do you have any insider information you want to reveal on Clickr? I have none. I, of course, <laughs> if I knew the answer, I would use your podcast to do it. But uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't have any information. As, as soon as you know, I'll know, and that's when we can talk about it. Well, so. I'm sure. I'm sure if that happens, uh, your name will be on a short list for uh, Department of Education um, secretary. Or you can stay in the Senate doing the great work there. This was That's the plan. And uh, Stevon, let me say thank you for uh, doing what you're doing. I know that I know I know it's not for the pay, uh, and the, in my view, the most public, important public good we have in this country is public education, and it's time for us to bring it into the 21st century so kids can have a real chance uh, in the country and. It's for you to be dedicated to this cause is just means the world to me. And I, I'm just very grateful for it. Well, I'm, I'm grateful for your service and your time today. Uh, this was, right. this was a very, very big um, day for this, this platform that I'm trying to build. And I think more people getting to know you and uh, hearing your perspective on the country uh, is hopeful. You, you turn um, a somewhat of a pessimist to having a, a glimmer of hope in this, our, in our conversation. So Hopefully more people will um, continue to get to know you and your vision for the country will uh, begin to materialize. Thank you for your service and your time. Thanks, Stephen. I appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Peace, peace. And thank you for listening to another episode of Cook on Monday Morning, supporting the Cook on Monday Morning podcast and YouTube channel. At Cook on Monday Morning, we believe that if you own Monday morning, you can own the week. If you own the week, you can own the year. And if you change your year, you can change your life. Thank you again to... Uh, Senator Michael Bennett from the good state of Colorado for this podcast. We got into a lot of interesting topics that I wanted to go deeper on. We didn't have a ton of time, but I appreciate him being able to address some of these important issues that the country is contending with and his solutions to um, help move the country forward. We talked about him running for president and um, the lessons he learned from that, his thoughts on police reforms. Uh, reparations. And I mentioned this book, but I didn't read the title. It's called The Land of Flickering Lights, Restoring America in an Age of Broken Politics. I just purchased the book. I put the link down in the description uh, so you can check it out. That is also an affiliate link. So if you just happen to go through the link to either purchase that book or do any of your other Amazon shopping the podcast will get a portion of whatever you purchase. So it's a great way to support the podcast. You can also do that through the steveoncook.com website while you're on YouTube. If you haven't already, and if you've been joining us for this long, please like and uh, subscribe to the YouTube channel. We have been really offering a lot of amazing insight from a, a variety of important uh, people that are 
affecting change in multiple areas of American life and, and around the world. So help us by subscribing to the channel, by liking the content and sharing it with a friend. Uh, our goal is to build a tribe of doers. And in order to do that, I've had the great privilege of interviewing several doers to build on this community that we're trying to have expand throughout different areas of the country and the world so that our Mondays could be better. But we have to own our Monday first. As you know, if you've been paying attention to Cook on Monday morning for a while, I have increased the number of interviews I've done since the pandemic started. So instead of just Monday, the Cook on Quarantine series is three times a week. We release interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. So by subscribing, you'll also be able to get the content as soon as it comes out. Uh, I have a, a number of exciting guests coming up in the coming weeks from everywhere that's serving in local government capacity that run businesses to pilots that do a variety of different interesting things. So be sure to subscribe. The Cook on Monday Morning channel uh, obviously is, is owned by me and it's a product of my company, the Luther Harris Holding Company. I named my company after my great-grandfather, Luther Harris, who built the legacy around building something out of nothing and gave me an example of what it meant to lead. So leadership and legacy is something that I often focus on. I work as a strategic advisor for startups, nonprofits in the areas of trying to help them grow. I also work with several companies to help them meet goals around diversity hiring or um, driving impact in the communities that they serve in. So if you happen to uh, be in that position and you want to talk more about how we can work together, I'd be happy to have that conversation. You can reach out to me at info at That's my email address, info at stevoncook.com. On my website, I mentioned it a bit earlier, um, please subscribe to the newsletter. With every interview I do, I'm also do, doing additional insights from the discussion. So if you want an abbreviated version, some key highlights uh, from the people that I've been speaking to, go ahead and subscribe to the newsletter. I'll also be sharing a variety of other insights and stories that uh, are fresh and fun. So you can stay up to date with that by subscribing to the newsletter at stevonkirk.com. Uh, I mentioned the book recommendations and going through the Amazon links as a good way to support the podcast. We also have merchandise coming which I'm really excited about uh, because for all of us that are on the journey of owning our Mondays and owning our weeks, representing that message is a great thing to do for yourself and the community. It's a great reminder and it's a great way to support what we're doing here at Cook on Monday morning. I have been doing a night out for single mothers and it's just a gesture of, you know, appreciation and love for all of our committed mothers out there doing the hard work of raising the family on their own. If you are a listener and you're a single mother, if you know someone that's a single mother and that uh, you think deserves a night out, feel free to email me. All you need to do is just tell me a little bit about the person, uh, their contact information. You can just email me info at stevoncook.com when the idea is that I treat them and the friend out to dinner. Uh, if we can work out some sort of childcare option I know it's a pandemic, so there's safety precautions we have to take. But if that's a possibility to cover that, we will also. I'm doing it at the rate of 
a few people a month. So if that applies to someone in your life or you yourself, email me at infosteamonk.com. I would love to uh, do something special for our single mothers. Finally, I just want to say that you know this this podcast is a testament to love. It was started as a way to showcase love, not only for the legacy that my great grandfather built, but an appreciation for the people that help our cities run and make our cities great. They are our first responders, uh, our police, EMT, firefighters, our social workers, our educators, custodians, school lunch workers, the people that pick up our trash, the people that are doing the difficult work of, of helping our city run smoothly. Thank you. This podcast is for you. Uh, it's also for all of, all of our employers, people that are creating opportunities that allow people to, you know, sustain their lives, to find purpose in their in their journey. To all of our employers, creating opportunity. This podcast is for you. This podcast is also for our gig workers who have become essential workers, committing themselves uh, to very very strenuous work and uh, long hours for not great pay. Uh, the people that are stocking our shelves, that are delivering food, that are taking passengers here and there, folks all over the country, this podcast is for you. And it's for those folks that are in cities like the great city of San Francisco, cities like Oakland, Los Angeles, Dallas, Houston, uh, New Orleans, or people in Colorado, <laughs> in places like Denver, this podcast is for you. I'd also like to thank the people that make this podcast possible. Our videographer, David Topete. Incredible, incredible work. Uh, thank you for all your hard work. I'd also like to thank Fernando Cinco Marquez for editing the newsletter. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. And if you haven't had enough, if you stay with us this long, I hope that you subscribe by now. And I hope that we finally we get a chance to get to know each other. You know, our podcast community, our listening community continues to grow. It's still really small. Uh, but connect with me. You can find me on LinkedIn at Stevon Cook, on Twitter at Stevon Cook, and on Facebook um, and Instagram at Stevon Cook. And until we meet again, peace, peace, and we out.